Welcome back to Talking Trade. I'm Sandy Siegel, president of ME Day. And I'm Ian Coxhead, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Today, we have a very special guest, Sean Jaros. Uh, Sean is a trade consultant, a US customs broker, uh, and a certified customs specialist. She's the founder of Trade Moves LLC, a trade facilitation corporation, uh, and she's the chief trade strategist for that company. Uh, Sean has a long history of engagement in trade, both for the private sector and in various roles for the US government. So Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Sean, I am particularly interested in your role as advisor to the US trade rep. And I understand you've consulted on trade issues in particular that impact and affect US small and minority businesses. And as, as somebody who serves US small and um, minority businesses, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the Industry Trade Advisory Committee is, is governed or sort of convened by USTR, the US Trade Representative and the Department of Commerce. There's 14 different ITACs, and those ITACs represent different sectors. It can be a sector on aerospace or automotive or consumer goods. And then there are some that are uh, sector that are cross-sectoral, including um, the small and minority business, which I sit on. There's one on customs, there's one on uh, standards, but it's really an opportunity for, for businesses to have a voice directly as cleared advisors, which means we have security clearances to be able to have a dialogue with USTR and commerce. For the, for the ITAC for small business, uh, that I think is just a truly unique committee because it really is those who are actually doing the international selling. They're the presidents of small companies that are exporting. They are the international sales rep of a company that's exporting and they bring real uh, operational transactional uh, and policy issues to USTR uh, and to the Department of Commerce to help inform trade policy. So it's a very uh, unique um, and important voice for the small business community. Absolutely. So clearly all the prohibitive you know, trade uh, tariffs and in particular with China and steel and aluminum is having a dramatic impact on, on small businesses. Um, I've certainly seen it firsthand. What do you see on the horizon? Do we, is there more attention within, under the new administration or, or what can you share on that? Yeah, so I think the, the attention will continue. Um, I, I, what's been very interesting to me is to look at the Trump policies, which are, are, are still, many are still in place. Yeah. And what's going to happen is the Biden administration is going to take its time. It's going to look at how do we pivot uh, to handle some of these trade issues, but more involved with our, with our allies, not so adversarial, but how do we resolve some of these issues so that we can maybe take on China differently, right? So uh, an example is the US-EU uh, Boeing and Airbus dispute. The fact that we now have a five-year um, reprieve on retaliatory duties so that we can come to the table and resolve this long-standing dispute is important because we were having retaliatory tariffs on many U.S. agricultural exports, right? Um, yep. And we saw this tit-for-tat where we continued to hit each other, but that's been you know, taken off the table. So we have a reprieve so that we can talk about 
how to resolve some of these issues. When it comes to China, I think we're going to continue to see um, tariffs on, on the Section 301 tariffs um, on goods coming in from China, and so they're going to continue to retaliate. I don't see that lifting anytime soon because it's the, some of the only leverage we have um, to continue to have a dialogue with China on, on their, their, their practices. And there's a lot of issues with China from IPR uh, issues and forced technology transfer, as well as their forced labor and human rights issues. So um, I don't see that being resolved anytime soon. And so I think that means small, medium, size exporters, exporters of all sizes will continue to see problems for their exports to China. Yeah, understood. And, and importers too, of course, with, with the additional duties. Um, I think uh, for our Midwest audience, I think there might be some particular interest in um, the, that you've served on the U.S. Department of Ag's Trade Advisory Committee, um, in particular on um, processed foods. And so I, I know you shared with me earlier before the show some of the impact of nutrition labeling and how that might you know, have an effect on the agriculture exporting community. So tell us a little bit more about what's going on um, with all of these new labeling requirements and, and, and what to watch out for. Yeah, so similar, so I'll just touch just briefly on the ATAC for processed food. So similar to the ITAC for small business, which is again, USTR and commerce. Like you said, this is the, the ATAC for processed foods. There's one for dairy, there's one for sweeteners, there's textiles, but the, 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 the focus there is USTR and USDA. And um, we have raised within the, the processed food community that the proliferation of simplified nutritional labeling is gonna to continue to be a, a, a huge trade barrier. And it's, you know, you've seen it in, uh, in Mexico, we've seen it in Chile, we've seen it in the UK and the, the EU member states are discussing what's going to happen. And it's, it's fine to have, I think, you know, uh, uh, facts about what, what the nutrition, if it's high in fat or high in calories, but to put warning labels and make it inter interpretive in which you vilify processed foods, that's really creating a problem. And so what we've proposed is to do more research on what's, what's happening out there in, in uh, different countries, different organizations on, on nutritional labeling. Is it science-based? Um, what's the research out there on the impacts? Are consumers overwhelmed? Is it changing purchasing uh, patterns? Uh, what's the impact on, on exports? and then to be able to have that information and that intelligence available to the agricultural community. So I'll give you an example. I work for the confectionery industry. I work for the dairy industry. Um, I work for the organic industry. All of those industries could be hit with these warning labels that say that their food is, is dangerous, right? Um, it, it's not just candy that's you know, considered bad. It could be cheese. It could be yogurt. It could be even organic product are having these warning labels that make it sound like eating the processed food is, is, um, is, is contributing to the downfall of, of your nutritional um, uh, foods and food security. So we're, we're taking an approach that um, we want to inform the agriculture community. So they've put some proposals to USDA to create more intelligence so that the agricultural community is informed and can make their own decisions on how to comply 
and how to work with and, and advocate on behalf of, of their industry on what front of pack labeling should look like in nutritional labeling. And, and who and, and what is driving that movement to you know, um, require that labeling? Yeah, well, it's different organizations. It's, it's countries that I think are reacting to consumer preferences for healthier foods and more information. I think that's, that's a fair driver. Um, but uh, then there's the, the World Health Organization and the Pan-American Health Organization where you see um, countries and nations having to deal with the obesity you know, uh, uh, problems throughout their countries. And so how do you inform? Um, so being able to respond to say, it's, it's, it's important to have information. Let's just not make it um, interpretive. It should yeah. be non-interpretive. It should be just pre preventing, pre presenting facts. And so, and it's being driven by industry and government to have more, more of a, more intelligence and more insight onto what's happening um, uh, so that we can make informed decisions. And really quickly, Sean, is there any opportunity as you see it for uh, the kinds of consultations that you're now engaged in with USDA at the international level? Is there an opportunity there for people to sit around a table and, and hammer this out there? Well, I think that's one of, one of the drivers as to why we want this intelligence because USDA is engaged and I think it's important for USDA to be engaged, but we also, what will be the Biden administration's focus on nutrition? Um, and, and so, it's informing the, the agricultural community as to what's out there. Yeah. Um, it's to help inform USDA so that they can have these discussions. But at the same time, um, things are happening so quickly. 2022 will be a, a critical year, I think, for um, you know, we're seeing things happening at Codex. We're seeing things happening at the World Health Organization. The EU yeah. member states are trying to make decisions. And if the US is sort of flat-footed and not engaged, including industry, I think we're, we're, we're going to be reacting to um, labeling schemes that don't necessarily help, uh, yeah. you know, help, help in the processed food area. Sounds like exciting times ahead, Sean. So uh, maybe we should check, in, check back in with you in about a year and uh, see what kind of Even progress there. has been made. <laughs> uh, Sean Jaros, thank you very much for your time today. This has been Talking Trade and we really appreciate your visit. Thank you very much. Pleasure.